we live in unstable times. And that is an understatement. Between the economic crisis uh, that loomed after the pandemic, uh, to the impact of the war on the global markets, security and stability is not how people would describe our times these days. Yet the message we will look at this morning on this Resurrection Sunday points our attention to security. Security not in our world, not in our nation's economy, not in our finances, not in our jobs, not even in ourselves, but security in God. This is a theme that we will look at this morning, secure in God. But why? Why should you seek security in God? And why can you find security in God? The greatest reason that we have for security in God that we will look at this morning is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was raised from the dead by the Father, by God, we can be confident and we can seek and find security in God. Would you open God's word to Psalm 16? Psalm 16. If you are visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, we'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles provided in the chairs uh, in front of you. You may find this passage on page number 453. And as you turn God's word to Psalm 16, I want to ask you, does it surprise you to hear that on Easter Sunday, we would speak about the resurrection of Jesus from Psalm 16? In the New Testament, two of the apostles gave sermons in the book of Acts. And in their sermons, they spoke about the resurrection of Jesus. And both quoted Psalm 16 as their scripture to prove that Jesus was raised from the dead. The apostle Peter in Acts 2, for the passage that our brother Colin read earlier, and also the Apostle Paul in Acts 13 did the same thing when he preached about the resurrection of Jesus, pointing us to Psalm 16. So this morning, on this Resurrection Sunday, we are looking at Psalm 16. The entire Bible, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, tells us of the message of God's salvation through Jesus. And this morning, we will see how Psalm 16 compels us to seek security in God because of what he has promised to do in his son Jesus. Here is God's word for us this morning. A mictum of David, preserve me, O God, for in you 
I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you join me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of his word and our hearts as we listen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we praise you for revealing yourself to us as a God who is able to keep us secure, as the one in whom we can find our ultimate stability and security. Gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus and for granting us through him the stability we desperately need. Father, we pray this morning as we hear this word that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak through my mouth, through these words in a way that Christ would be exalted and you, you would grant life and hope and peace. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Psalm 16 that the main theme of this psalm is security is evident not only from the words of stability and secure that we read in the psalm later in the second half of the psalm, but from the very first verse, from the very first word of this psalm, you can see the theme of security as the, the psalmist David uh, speaks to the Lord and asks of him, preserve me, O God. Preserve me, O God. I wonder how many this morning are, are willing with David to cry out to the Lord and say these same words, preserve me, O God. By the way, this psalm, in this psalm, this is the only prayer request. This is the only request God, uh, David makes in this psalm. It's a plea for safety, for security, for stability. And then the rest of the psalm is a, an expose of the how we should find security in God and why we should find security in God. 
if, if we were to summarize this entire psalm in one sentence, it would be simply this. Seek security in God. Otherwise, you'll reap sorrows. Seek security in God. Otherwise, you'll reap sorrows. But why and how? How do you seek security in God? This psalm will show us the map uh, to finding security in God. It starts with devotion to God, which leads to satisfaction in God, which finally results in confidence in God. These are the three points of the psalm this morning and of the message we will have this morning. Devotion to God, satisfaction in God, which finally will result in confidence in God. Let's look at each of these this morning and see how Christ will be the center of the confidence we have in the Lord. But it starts with devotion to God. After making the plea to the Lord, preserve me, O God. It, starting with verse 2, David gives us the, the first First way of how he begins finding that safety and securing God starts with devotion to God. Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. David seeks security in God by first of all declaring and making the Lord his God. By devoting himself to the Lord entirely. You can't find security in God unless he becomes your God. Your Savior. Your Master. God is a source of security for all who make him their God. I wonder this morning, have you made him your God? Can you call him? Can you declare to him, you are my Lord. You are my God. Some people want to treat God more like their bodyguard. More like someone they just keep around them just for protection without having the devotion to the Lord. Some people want to treat God more like just an acquaintance. They like to brag about him once in a while. They like to reach out to him once in a while. But he's not their God. Friends, there's no security with God unless he is our God. But what does he mean for God to be our God? There are several facets in this psalm. And David shows it to us. He explains for us what it means for him to make God his God. Recognize that God is our only source of true goodness. This is what David says, I have no good apart from you. What a bold statement that is. I have no good apart from you. This is what it means for David to say about the Lord, you are my God. It means to recognize that God is the source of all goodness and that ultimately 
we truly experience no true good apart from God. Now, according to the Bible, what gets us in trouble is when we seek our good apart from God, either in keeping Him at a distance or going opposite of His ways. One pastor friend said beautifully once, the essence of sin is looking for good outside of God's provision and His will. And he goes on to give some examples. An unforgiving man craves justice, which is a good thing. But he takes revenge in his own hands. Even though God says, vengeance is mine, he seeks to hold on to revenge and unforgiveness. Or a woman who tells her friends her latest gossip to make herself feel significant. What is she doing in doing so? She wants a good thing. She wants to feel like she matters and that she's important. But she bases her significance on having the latest juicy news. She's looking for good apart from God. Friends, this happens in our lives so often. If we look at most of the sins in our lives, we try to achieve something good, but seek to achieve that apart from God or against His ways. David says, Lord, You are my God. And what I mean by that is, I have no good apart from You. You are at the center of my life. No good I can claim in this life gets to me outside of you, apart from you. God is a prerequisite of all good in our lives. And when we get to see Him that way, we get to realize that's what it means for God to be God in our lives. Do you see Him as the source of all good for your life? Oh, friends, when you see God as good as the ultimate good in your life, you can enjoy the good things He gives you and yet keep Him at the center of all those good things. When you don't see Him as a source of all good in your life, then you're tempted to begin enjoying those good things apart from the Lord. Or you are tempted to try to get those things apart from the Lord. But when He is your good, the center of your goodness, the filter who brings all good things to you, that is a way of saying, Lord, you are my God. But being devoted to God not only starts with making the Lord your God and, and seeing Him as the source of all good in your life, but it has another characteristic. And this one steps on so many of our toes these days. Devotion to God is not a private, isolated experience. Look at verse 3. Devotion to God shows up in our affections for God's people. David says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. 
Friends, do you consider your devotion to God to be only a private, isolated experience? Some of you are nodding your heads this way. Praise the Lord for that. But there's others of you perhaps this morning who you are not able to give that answer. Because if you truly think deep down in your heart, you want to really just think of your devotion to God as a private, isolated, keep your cards to yourself kind of experience. But this is the opposite of how God tells us that we should be devoted to Him. In, in, in the New Testament, in the letter of 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, God says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And here in Psalm 16, our devotion to God shows up in our delight in the people of God. So, to claim that you love God but you ignore His people or don't delight in them, in gathering with them or in being around them or in having them in your life, if you don't experience those feelings of affection for the people of God, that should be a red flag. Notice how the saints are in this text described not as people painted on church walls. They are not people who are just those who lived centuries ago that we read in biographies about them. No, in, in this psalm, the saints were the people living in the land where David lived in his own time. David delighted in them. Friends, the Bible calls saints not those who live perfect lives, but those who continue to turn to God even in the midst of their imperfections and in their faults. The fragrance of ongoing repentance and trust in the Lord is what makes God's people to be the excellent ones. Not perfect. Not flawless. If you stick around church people, you'll realize we are flawed people. But friends, what makes us saints is that we have put our trust and confidence in the truly perfect one of God. And the only person, human being, who ever lived a sinless life the man God, Jesus Christ. Well, friends, Christians are saints, not because they don't sin, but because when we do sin, we turn back to the Lord and seek repentance and seek to walk in trust-like faith. Oh, friends, do you delight in the saints? If your devotion to God was measured by your devotion and delight in God's people, what would the measure of that devotion to God indicate? But devotion to God shows up also in a final characteristic in this first few verses of the psalm. It also shows up in the path of refusing to pursue other gods. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. David speaks here of his refusal to participate in the worship of idols. He will not try to mix idolatry with devotion to the Lord. 
And friends, part of our devotion to God involves saying no to what competes with God for our ultimate devotion. Some people think foolishly that they can commit to God while holding on their pursuits of other gods. You can't be devoted to the Lord while on the fence with idolatry. Single folks who might begin a relationship with a significant other, a dating relationship, what would happen if while pursuing a new dating relationship, they continue to hold on to their old girlfriends? That would not turn out very well, would it? Why do you think God would feel different? Devotion to God means also saying no to those other things or beings or dreams or pursuits that compete with our affection and devotion for the true God. So our security in God begins with our devotion to God. You can't find security in God if you're not devoted to God. And that security and that devotion to the Lord means making Him your God, seeing Him as the source of all good in your life, delighting in His people and giving up running other gods. All this defines our devotion to God. But the second marker of seeking security in the Lord is satisfaction in God. Not just devotion in God, but satisfaction in God. And we see this in verses 5 through 8. After describing his devotion to God, David describes his satisfaction in God. And David uses a number of metaphors, of pictures, to describe his satisfaction in God. The picture of God as my portion as my cup, as my inheritance. Look at verse 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, how should we interpret these images? Where do they come from? In the Old Testament, there is an entire book there's an entire book in the Old Testament that deals with portions, lines, lots, and inheritance. It's a book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, God had already brought his people into the promised land. And in the book, God divided the land to each of the tribes of Israel. And God himself chose to set the lines and apportioned each lot to each tribe. God determined their portion. God determined the lines of their inheritance. God gave them the inheritance of the whole land. But in the midst of, of distributing the inheritance, there's a unique detail about the tribe of Levi. Listen to what God said to the Levites, spoken to Aaron in Numbers 18, 20. 
And the Lord said to Aaron, who was a Levite, you shall have no inheritance in their land. Neither shall you have any portion among them. Now, if we pause the reading here and you listen to what was just spoken to the Levites, what would your reaction be? What? This is not fair. I mean, God had promised this land for the 12 tribes. Why are we singled out? Why are we not getting any inheritance? Why do all my brothers get the inheritance of the land and I don't? I mean, can you see your children reacting when you don't apportion the candy in equal way? Why does he have more? Why is the ice cream of my sister bigger than mine? I mean, this is part of our human nature of craving to make sure that we get equality within everything. So if you're Aaron and you're the Levites, you're hearing, what is going on here? But the promise of God goes on. After saying you're not going to get an inheritance from the land, God says, I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Now, honestly, if you're a Levite and you got this news, would you be satisfied? You see, even in the Old Testament, even the promise of the promised land was not the ultimate inheritance God wanted to give to his people. As good as the land was, and as much as the people needed a land to live in, it was a very practical need, the Levites got not the short end of the stick, but they got what the Lord hoped to teach all his people, that God himself would be their inheritance. And the Levites were supposed to cultivate in their hearts the experience of being satisfied in the Lord as their portion, as their lot, as their inheritance. The entire priestly tribe of, Le of the Levites was supposed to be this, this regular reminder that actually the ultimate inheritance for the people of God was not the land, but was God himself. So when David says in verse 5 that the Lord is his chosen portion, David is saying, Lord, I get it. I get what you are trying to teach the Levites. Lord, you are my portion. And by the way, David was from the tribe of Judah. David had land. But nevertheless, David makes the Lord his portion and his inheritance. Not the land. Not what his tribe received from the Lord. 
David gets it, what God was trying to teach the Israelites in the book of Joshua. I am your inheritance. And all this points to the satisfaction that David experiences in the Lord. But the picture goes on. It's not only that the Lord is David's chosen portion and inheritance. David also says, you are my cup. What does that mean? The cup is a way, is the way we drink fluids for our nourishment, for our survival, for our enjoyment. To say that the Lord is my cup is a way of saying the one through whom I am getting my refreshment, my nourishment, my enjoyment is the Lord. He is the vehicle. He is the means by which I am getting what I need for my life, for my sustenance, for my enjoyment. Oh, friends, put these images together and you get what David is trying to say, that he is not merely devoted to God, but he is satisfied in God. Oh, how often we may be tempted to think of our devotion to God, but we fail to be satisfied in God. Devotion to God and satisfaction in God should go hand in hand. To be satisfied in God means also being satisfied in his counsel. This is what David shows us in verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, I, my art also instructs me. The counsel that God gives us is in his word. So meditate on God's word as a means of showing your delight in his instruction. Be satisfied in God's counsel through his word. But being satisfied in God also means putting the Lord before your eyes regularly. And this is what we get in verse 8. David finds satisfaction in God not only by finding God's counsel pleasing, but by putting the Lord before his eyes continually. Look at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. Parents and grandparents, why do you put pictures of your children or of your grandchildren, if you're a grandparent, in your home? Husbands, why do you put pictures of your wives in your office? Even though you are with them all the time, you want to be reminded of them all the time. This is a way of saying when you delight in someone and are pleased with someone, you like to have reminders of them all over. And David is saying here, I have set the Lord always before me. This is not about putting a picture of Jesus on, on a wall. No, no, no. That's not the way we put the Lord before us. We put the Lord before us, friends, when we think regularly of Him. When we turn to His Word, when we turn to prayer, when we turn to our friends and, and, and are not afraid or feel awkward to bring up spiritual things in our conversations, teaching them or sharing with them what the Lord is teaching us or asking of them how to, 
to respond in a particular difficult conversation and seeking counsel from godly people in our lives because it's a way in which we put the Lord before us regularly. David finds God pleasing. So he says, I'm putting the Lord before me always. Can you say that about the Lord? Are you satisfied in God in such a degree that you can say, I have put the Lord before me always? But what happens when you put the Lord before you always? What happens when you're satisfied in the Lord to such a degree that you delight in his counsel, that you put him before you always? Verse 8 ends with this wonderful promise. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Do you see the logic? When we're satisfied in God, we set him before our eyes, and that becomes a source of stability for us. And this leads us to the last part of the psalm. Confidence in God. Confidence in God, which is in verses 9 through 11. Security in God starts with devotion to God, which leads to satisfaction in God, which finally re results in confidence in God. And this confidence in God is described to us in the last few verses of the psalm. It's a joyful and secure confidence. Look at verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. Do you hear the joyful confidence? Do you hear the joyful security that David has? And we may say, Lord, David, what helps you feel in this way? What gives you reasons to have such confidence? The answer is verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. What is the reason why David finds confidence, this joyful, secure confidence in God? The answer is verse 10, which is quoted by Paul and Peter in the book of Acts, telling us that when David wrote this psalm, when David wrote these words, he was speaking not about himself here, but he was speaking about what God would do to his son, Jesus Christ. David did see corruption when he was laid in the grave, but Jesus did not. Because after being crucified, killed by the Jews, by the Romans, put in the grave, on the third day, God raised Jesus from the grave. And he indeed fulfilled this promise that God has given to David prophetically centuries before that his Holy One will not see corruption. Oh, friends, why can David feel great joy and security and confidence in God? Because of the promise of Christ's resurrection. I want to make a, a challenge to you. I want to give you a challenge. Go to a funeral home. And ask them for an insurance policy that when you will be put in the grave, your body will not see corruption. See if any funeral home will give you an insurance policy against that. None will. 
being placed in the grave, all of us will see corruption. But here's one, the only one that we see here in this text. Jesus Christ foretold centuries before that when he would be put in the grave, when he would be laid down, his body will not see corruption. And Jesus was raised from the dead. God did what he promised David he would do. Oh, my dear friends, because there's no other God in this world who can promise and guarantee such an insurance, such a security, such a stability, such protection, we can turn to God and find true stability and ultimate security in him and him alone. He did it in Jesus by raising him from the dead. And he will do it for all those who turn to him and put their confidence and trust and reliance on Jesus. David's confidence in God is not only a joyful and secure confidence in Christ's resurrection, his confidence in God ends on the confidence of eternal life. Look at the way verse 11 closes. David says, you make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the path of life. Oh, friends, Jesus died for sinners who would repent and trust in him so that through his resurrection, he would bring life to those who are in the bondage of sin and death. This is the only way for making us right with God. And this is the only way that we can escape and be delivered from the bondage and from the curse of sin and death. If we turn to the one whom God raised from the dead. David says, you make known to me the paths of life. Oh, friends, on Easter Sunday, consider the resurrected Jesus as the only path to experience life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The life, the path of life that David spoke of is a life that we get through Jesus. And this life is not mere life here on earth. This life is eternal life. How do we know that? Look at verse 11. David continues on and says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Think endless supplies of joy and pleasures. No shortage of supply on that one. Think of that. Imagine that. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. This is the picture of eternal life in the presence of God. Oh, friends, think of the, think of the pleasure of just sitting down after a long day after a hard day, you realize that as, as you age and grow in, in age and years, I hear from some of our older saints in this congregation that even sitting down becomes a pain. Even the joy of sitting down becomes a pain. 
What God promises us is joy and pleasures forevermore, not running out. Oh my goodness, this is what God promises his people. But David says, this promise, this picture is at your right hand in the presence of God. This is why it's worth saying no to sin now. This is why it's worth saying no to our idols now. Because fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore are promised to us, not apart from God, but at his presence. Remember, the path to the Father is through Jesus, the one who died on the cross, the one who was raised from the dead. Because of him, you and I can know the path of life. Friends, because of the resurrection of Jesus, that life can be ours as well. So all those who would respond to God by turning away from sin, from rebellion, from their ignorance of God, and embracing Jesus by faith, all those who would respond in this way would receive and be known, made known to them the path of life. I pray this morning on this Resurrection Sunday is that if you do not know God as your God, that today you would come to know him because he makes his path known to you in his son, Jesus Christ. If you would like to know what to do or how to respond to him, uh, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. I would encourage you to talk to someone who, who has invited you to the service. Talk to another member of this congregation, but respond to the Lord by turning away from your sin and putting your trust in Jesus. Oh, friends, what a different future. Security in God brings us. What a different future it brings as opposed to those who run after other gods for whom their sorrows will multiply. This path that we have looked at today is a path of security. It's an invitation to find security in God. How? By being devoted to God, devoting yourself to Him, by being satisfied in Him, finding satisfaction in Him, and finding confidence in Him. And the reason for that confidence is the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, you call us, you invite us to find our security in no one else but you and you alone. And we praise you for giving us such incredible proof and reason why we can find security in you through the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, great God, I pray and we ask this morning as we finish this service that you would cause our hearts to turn to the Lord in devotion, in satisfaction, and in confidence. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.